If you are interested in not paying full price for your supplements, then head on over to mountainops.com and use the coupon code TAG10 at checkout, and that will get you 10% off your Mountain Ops purchase. That's TAG10 for 10% off. Also, if you would like some free Maven swag with your binocular or optics order, go on over to mavenbuilt.com. They sell really kick-ass, fully customizable binoculars, and they are awesome. I've been using them for about two years now. They're fantastic. Head on over, use the coupon code NBHGIFT at checkout, and that will get you some free swag with your order. If you are ready to take the hard road, the road less traveled, the path in life where the journey is more important than the destination, then you are in the right place. Prepare to live with vigor. This is the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. Welcome one and all to the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast and today's guest is one of our content contributors for the Adventurous Gentleman website. So if you haven't checked that out, go to theadventurousgentleman.com and uh, if you look up A River's Beginning or probably all of our fly fishing articles currently, they're all written by one man. And that man being Austin Benacasa. Austin, for those of you who haven't read any of the articles, is what I would consider to be kind of the epitome of an adventurous gentleman, whether it's rock climbing, skiing, camping, hiking, backpacking, hunting. Austin's into it all. And that's why this site was created because there's a lot more guys out there and gals who are interested in a little bit of everything than there there wasn't anything there before. So I'm really happy to have Austin on today. And for full disclosure, now I'm going to cut that bit out. So yeah, now I'm going to keep that. For full disclosure, Austin does date one of my younger sisters and they met while coaching a local race team here in alpine skiing and he's a super great guy i'm actually super happy for him to be dating my sister when you look at all the other bums around that she could be (laughs) (laughs) so welcome to the show austin yeah thank you i'm glad to be here so how did you get started in the outdoors because you're involved in a lot more than say the average person would be you know it's really hard to kind of pinpoint a specific beginning um i would say that from a young from a young kid my dad always brought us outside he always encouraged us to just go outside and you know be out in the outdoors whether it was just you know poking around in the woods or you know i had an obsession with building tree forts i don't know what it was when i was a little kid but if you go into my parents backyard there's probably four or five falling down platforms just hanging in the trees and things like that so he just encouraged us consistently to just be outside. You know, it's negative degrees outside. He said, go out there. He didn't want us in the house. You know, don't play video games. Just stay outside. And so I kind of just learned to enjoy the outdoors. And, um, you know, I just kind of stuck to it. Growing up, what was your favorite activity or sport outside? Starting out, I would say it was skiing. Um, it was a big thing that my parents did. We were all 
Alpine ski racers. Um, before that, we were just Alpine skiers, and we saw the local race program, and we was like, we we're like, that's pretty cool. So we, you know, started out doing that and got pretty involved in it. Ended up switching mountains to become a lot more involved into it, uh, and we did that up until I was an active racer well into college. After college, I started coaching. Um, you know, because of my new job, I haven't been coaching as much anymore, but I still try to be as active as I can, uh, in the community and, you know, help out where I can. What was it like coaching? Was it a lot more difficult than you thought it would be, or was it really kind of easier than you thought it might be? It's both. It's (laughs) Challenging? (laughs) It's challenging and it's, it depends on who you're coaching. (laughs) What was the hardest part about coaching? The hardest part about coaching was trying to explain something as easy, as simply as you can. That's probably the hardest part about coaching. Taking a really complex topic, breaking it down piece by piece, and explaining it to someone that has no idea what you're really talking about. And then within a short while, almost have them understand it enough to be able to mimic it on the hill. And skiing or ski racing, rather, for those of you who don't know, is highly, highly technical, especially, I'll break it down for anyone who may not be into skiing or ski racing, there's different kinds of courses you can ski, and they typically range from slalom, which is a tighter, more narrow course, shorter in length, but involves a lot more quick and high-speed turns, uh, to downhill, which is like a wide open, super long, really, really high speed racing course and a lot less technical per se. Yep. Uh, which modality did you find to be the toughest to coach? Well, I only really taught in the slalom and in the GS, um, which is typical. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the most common. I mean, yeah. you see some giant, uh, some super, super giant, giant slalom. slalom and some downhill, but generally you're going to see the bread and butter, which are GS and slalom. The slalom was probably the most tough, difficult for um, a lot of more kids to learn. You know, there's a lot more happening. It's very fast paced. There's, you know, a lot of changes, a lot of different techniques involved to doing it. So that's probably the the toughest to coach, I would say. Uh GS uh, is a more consistent type of turn to more recreational, where a recreational skier wouldn't really do a slalom turn, you know, unless they're skiing through the trees and things like that. Uh, so it's a type of uh, skiing that not a lot of people really do on the mountains. They're really about, you know, going as straight and as fast as they can. So uh, trying to bring a recreational skier into the course, you most likely would introduce them to a GS course over a slalom course just because it's a little easier transition but as a skier you need to do both so it kind of is uh is something that they eventually have to try to tackle which is kind of funny because I preferred a slalom course to a GS but naturally just my bowl in a china shop kind of build I was better suited for a GS but I think because I enjoyed slalom more I ended up doing better in the long run at slalom and I think a lot of that has to do with what you really like you're going to go for what about coaching skiing did you enjoy the most 
I think the most thing I enjoyed about it um, was seeing a kid come down and be successful. You know, the act of them going out there, putting to test what you had taught them in the previous days, them executing it, seeing how it worked, and it being successful for them. It's always tough to teach someone something new and not have it be successful right away. That's kind of the hardest thing. You know that it takes a little bit of work for them to perfect it. You know it's there. It just isn't showing yet. You know, it's it's like anything you... It's you, the diamond in the rough. You really got to <laughs> polish it. Yeah, it's a diamond in the rough, you know. And once you find it, you know it's a diamond, but it, it takes a little bit of work to get it to shine so you can stick it on a ring and really show it off. <laughs> I know what you mean. Sometimes they don't know they're a diamond yet. No, and, and if, you know, you, you tell them they are... Sometimes they don't believe it right away. Um, so it's it's nice if they can have a little bit of uh, uh, results to show it. But when you're learning something new, it's always nice to to have, you know, something positive happen to reinforce that you're on the right path. And I think that can, can translate into, you know, the sport of fishing for me because I'm pretty new at fishing. Um, I, you know, for everyone who doesn't know um, – this year, probably in the month of June, you know, I just picked up fly fishing, um, and I've really taken to it because it's kind of been like learning to ski all over again. So, um, you know, it's always nice, you know, in those first couple of months of learning to fly fish was was really tough, but I think what really set the seed for me that within the first day of me going to the store, buying a fly fishing pole, going out to the river with just a handful of flies that I just bought and at a whim and being able to land an okay fish, you know, about seven inches, um, that really set the seed, you know, to kind of have some positive reinforcement right off the bat. I ended up not catching as many fish after that one point. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of beginner's luck and then, <laughs> then a steep downhill. I would say a lot of a beginner's luck. Um, you know, and there was some more reinforcement down the line, but that initial um, success really set the hook, I would say, um, and really kind of, you know, stuck me to the sport. Which is interesting because I think, or at least I've noticed, a lot of skiers also fly fish. There's a big crossover in the two sports where I don't know if it's people who really enjoy punishing themselves with failure or what it is that you see so much crossover. But I've noticed a lot of guys who are on the river are also the same guys on the mountains. I think it's a lot of, um, there's a lot of crossover between the two sports. In skiing, you have to make sure your equipment is up to par. For the different changing weathers, you have to make sure your skis are properly tuned and waxed to the different conditions. Just as in fly fishing, you have to make sure that your flies in your box and what's on your line are... Um, going to show for what's hatching in the water, what could be in the water, or just, you know, even when there's bugs hatching, you know, there's fish taking other things. So being able to adapt to the different changing conditions, there's a lot of crossover. Um, you know, I think maintaining the equipment is huge. You know, a five-weight, you know, nine-foot pole is not always, you know, the key tool. It's a pretty good tool on a lot of different streams but it's not the one tool for all streams just like there's not one ski for a certain run you know like you know, like for you all... might not want to go salmon fishing 
with uh yeah and you probably break your rod yeah 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 you may not want to ski it downhill with some slalom race no nope, you don't want to do that either so i think you know in that there's a lot of crossover you know for the people that meticulously maintain their skis um it translates over to being able to maintain your fly collection you know during the summer months there's a lot of crossover you know being busy with your hands i think and you got to do something when there's no snow or the river's frozen <laughs> yeah you got to do something yeah when there's no snow in the summer yeah there's something they have to do <laughs> so let's get sorry for those of you listening not in upstate new york let's get really regional here favorite mountain to ski favorite river to fish well, I haven't fished at too many rivers, uh, so I'd say the West Canada would probably be my favorite. Uh, that's where I've had the most luck. Obviously, I've fished there the most, so I think that's a little bit biased to say. Are we going favorite mountain in the continental... Uh, northeast. Northeast. Let's northeast. Say northeast. We'll say northeast. Keep it a little more broad. I'd say for powder snow, you can't beat Snow Ridge. The ver- the vertical feet is lacking a little bit. About Twenty vertical feet. But <laughs> I think I think the I think it's actually like five hundred and fifty four vertical. Feet. Damn right, Westerners, <laughs> five hundred and fifty four pure vertical feet. I've had a lot of fun at Killington. I would have to say I've had a lot of fun um, on the front side skiing there, but I haven't been there on a true powder day. But for all the true powder hounds and wood skiers i would say there's no match for jay peak um in the northern vermont Uh, they uh a couple weeks ago they just got hit with a 50 inch nor'easter so i was watching some videos on ski the east of um them slaying the upper mountain and it looked pretty pretty cool yeah shout out to (laughs) my homie uh no longer roommate Dwayne Wheeler, who's <laughs> currently living, uh, currently living in the Northeast Kingdom, and this is a little regional slang for those of you um, not from the Northeast. But the Northeast Kingdom kind of encapsulates that Northern Vermont, Mainish, New Hampshire, Lower Canada area, and <laughs> I think the saying goes. The Northeast Kingdom, where weird is good and the goods are weird. <laughs> I'm not sure I know what that means. <laughs> you, you spend enough, you meet any of the people up there, you'll know exactly what that means. I would have to say the uh, the Ramoners and the Mainers. I don't know if, that's the, the, North. Is that the, if that's the correct term for them, but yeah, they're a different breed of skiers. And I, you know what? I'm going to go with you on this. I would say... J Peak, if I had to pick one ski resort, and they're like, you can only ski one place. Of course, I would live at this place. I'm not going to drive there. But if I had to live at one place, I would go for skiing only, J Peak. The party scene at J Peak, eh. It's eh. Yeah. There's there's far better opera ski opportunities if you're in the Northeast. Far better. Uh, Killington's would probably be the big dog followed by Mont Tremblant in Quebec. Yeah. After that, you're going to go Sunday river, or maybe some other places, Doe, whatever. They're kind of like all fighting for third, but, uh, one and two, I would say are solidly Killington's number one and 
Tremblant's number two. JP's party scene is like you and your 12 buddies and as much beer as you can buy is going to be a party scene. But they're yeah. working on it. They're getting a little more yeah. commercialized up there. Well, it's funny. I think the first time I went to Jay, we we put it in the GPS. And it said, and nope. <laughs> we ended up in the town of Jay, which I don't think was the true town of Jay, but it ended up being um, this kind of uh, – Vermont backwoods uh, camping hideout on the end of a dirt road. So we're driving down this dirt road, and my brother and I are looking to ourselves, and I'm like, this definitely isn't the resort. Um, and we ended up stopping because there was a guy walking on the side of the road. We pulled over, rolled down the window, and before we even asked him, he looked at us and said, you guys are looking for Jay Peak, right? And we were like, yeah, how do you know? He's like, for some reason, I ke- everyone keeps getting routed to my house, and I don't know why. <laughs> Just at some dude's house? Just, well, you can see the mountain from his house, but yeah, Google Maps wasn't too accurate. And and you just ended up at some dude's house. Yeah, you know, and luckily he didn't invite us in because we probably wouldn't have gone skiing or anything like that. <laughs> but <laughs> Favorite stream and this place holds a special place in my heart for one reason because my nana lives on it my papa used to fish in it and we've canoed tubed it's where you've really started fishing and that is the west canada creek for those of you who haven't ventured to the northeast for any fly fishing yet it is a trophy stream i mean you can slay some trout in this water. Yeah, I was just talking to a guy the other day. I was walking across the bridge, and we both locked eyes, and we got close to each other. And then you and <laughs> no, we uh, <laughs> no, and he he spoke first, and he's like, "There is someone out here crazy enough to be fishing as me," and I'm like, "Yep." Yep, there is, and it was about I would say about one or two degrees yeah. at that point. It's, at, it's effing freezing for those of you not here. At, at it's three, like negative at three twenty o'clock, at night, zero during the day. At three o'clock in the afternoon, I think it warmed up to a high of three degrees. A high of three, <laughs> very optimistic three degrees. Yeah. And so I, I was fishing at three degrees. You know the the like my fishing tip. Uh, I forgot which tip number it is, but if you fish in the sun, it's not too bad. Stay in the sun. <laughs> Stay in the sun. Stay in the sun, people. Don't go to the shade. <laughs> the shade is definitely cold. Um, you know, I had my gloves off for a couple uh, couple times trying to tie a different type of uh, fly-on, and in the sun, it wasn't too bad. I was actually pretty warm. You know, I layered up, wore some wool, um, and I was I was pretty warm. I really didn't get too cold at all. I mean, standing in, you know, 40-degree water, I mean, you're going to get cold after a while. But I lasted about three hours out there. I didn't catch anything. Uh, so it was a little demoralizing. But, you know, at least you get out there. And I always like to uh, convert uh, Wayne Gretzky's quote over, you know, and say, you know, you miss, you know, 100% of the opportunities you don't take or whatever. So, I mean, if you're not out there, you know, there's no opportunity to catch any fish. So... And that's 100% true. 100% true. I love that quote. And this podcast is kind of a duality. We're talking a lot of skiing and a lot of fishing. So let's do a gear rundown. All right. Go to ski gear in, we'll say, 
zero to 10 degree weather. And then we'll hit it up with a fishing gear rundown, zero to 10 degree weather. Austin, go. Well, for everyone's information, I am not supported by L.O. Bean, but I do recommend their gear at 100%. Austin's supported <laughs> by nobody but himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, both my layers are L.O. Bean layers. Uh, I really like that they 100% back their gear. If it's, fi- if it's broken, you send it back, they'll send you brand new gear. The only other brand that I've come across fishing-wise that has done that, and I was surprised to see is I bought a pair of Orvis boots. I was talking to the guy at the Orvis outlet. He said, if you don't like the boots, if they break, there's a lifetime warranty on them. You send them back, they'll send you a new pair. And, I mean, that really enticed me to buy a pair of boots. Are we, talking, ha- are we talking skiing or fishing? We're I talking, sorry. We're, I thought we were talk, starting with skiing. It sounds like we're talking fishing. <laughs> yeah, we'll start with fishing, I guess, because right, I guess my, fishing. my fishing... L- Gear is also my skiing gear. Okay, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of uh, crossover. So that's kind of important too because why buy two kits when you could buy maybe one and a half or one and a quarter? Yeah, so for everyone, they're probably going to think I'm crazy. Uh, but for my fishing gear, I wear a uh, long sleeve Carhartt pullover. Of course, Carhartt, <laughs> known. Known for their fishing gear. And then over that, I wear uh, an aloe bean. Uh, I forgot the name of it. It's like a micro puffy. Uh, and then over that is just a standard aloe bean rain jacket. What did Lionel Bean pay you to come on and talk about for this? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then um, I have a pair. They're not a really well-known brand. To be honest, I found them on Amazon. I was just Googling for affordable you know, fly fishing waders that are breathable and i came across a company they're called caddish fly fishing systems caddis caddis fly fishing systems um you know and i looked at their sizing chart and kind of just shot in the dark you know bought a size that i thought would fit uh and they actually fit pretty well i was surprised you know a lot of companies you have a tough time with their sizing chart you know they run a little bit big they run a little bit small uh but they ended up were spot on you know, another FYI to everyone, I'm not, you know, sponsored or any way by uh, Caddis Fly Fishing Systems, but uh, they do make a great durable wader. I mean, I've gone pretty hardcore bushwhacking with these things. I haven't cut them up. I've taken some falls in the river and, you know, bashed my knees up on rocks, but, you know, these waders really haven't ripped. And I'd probably have to say I have maybe 75 days in them so far. And, no leaks, and I'm really actually impressed for you know a hundred dollar pair of waders. Uh, they've really, really proven themselves both in the summer and in the winter, which is pretty inexpensive for a pair of waders. Yeah, you can get upwards of five hundred dollars, you know, for some of the high end Sims and Patagonia waders. Yeah, I ain't paying no five hundred <laughs> fucking dollars for waders. <laughs> yeah, so you know five hundred or you know hundred dollars, I'd I'd buy those again and again and again. Um, so yeah, so under the waders, I just wear um, a pair of hot peppers uh, long johns. So I wear a, hot, a pair of hot peppers um, long johns, uh, and then over them I wear a pair of Carhartt pants, and then I wear my waders. Uh, it's a pretty thin setup. Um, I don't want to sweat too much, you know, when I'm out there walking around. 
but it's enough material that uh, in the 40 degree water, I can stay pretty warm. I mean, after about an hour, you kind of start getting a little chilled, but I kind of step back and uh, we'll kind of hang out in the sun a little bit and For- warm back up. 40 degree water and zero degree air. That's yeah. kind of a shit sandwich right there. <laughs> yeah, but the waders, uh, they have a decent thickness to the material. So that, the Carhartts, and then the hot pepper long johns um, do a pretty good job of keeping me warm. I double up on my socks. I wear two wool socks. Um, the first pair is a little bit thinner, and then the second pair is obviously a little bit thicker. Uh, and that keeps my feet pretty warm. But I think that I'm going to try to add a pair of neoprene socks because my feet... My feet are kind of the uh, Achilles heel of the operation. <laughs> the you tootsies say. are freezing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean you're not gonna black out all the water from your uh, from you're not gonna black all the water out of your uh, getting in your boots. So I definitely think that uh, adding like a pair of neoprene socks to the mix will definitely uh, keep up the <laughs> definitely keep the uh, water out. So going from there. Uh, just a quick side note. The family just got home. Uh, my wife, Melanie, Austin's uh, girlfriend, a.k.a. my sister, Abby, and my oldest. I, I now have two kids, so I have an oldest child. Anderson just came in, and he is looking like the cutest little dwarf you ever saw, all tucked into some warm gear. So if you guys happen to hear any little voices in the background, it's probably him going off. He's a big fan of the outdoors, though. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, come on over, bud. You can sit on Dad's lap for this. So, going from there, ski gear. Anderson just starting to ski. He's looking at you like, "Hey, Austin, what's the go-to gear for skiing?" So, on the top, it's definitely still the Carhartt uh, <clears throat> long sleeve shirt, then the Elobine micro puffy, and the Elobine. Um, uh, rain jacket over that. You're sure you're not sponsored by LLB? I'm really not sponsored by LLB. Then LLB, you need to get your asses in gear on some sponsorships. <laughs> um, and for the bottoms, I just wear a pair of snow pants. I don't actually wear long johns um, for skiing. I really don't like the tight feel. I don't know. It's a personal preference, but uh, under the snow pants, I just wear a pair of boxers. Um, maybe a little weird to everybody, but um, you know, it's what I'm comfortable skiing in i stay pretty warm i've skied you know negative 30 degree days with the wind chill and i really don't get cold in the legs obviously standing in water makes you a little cold but um you know the snow pants do a pretty good job at keeping me warm so so for uh shredding our boots and skis what are we rocking uh i have a pair of 120 flex nordica doberman boots and on the ski, you really can't go wrong. I've this is my second year skiing on the skis. They're a um, a 174 Rosinal 88. And if you're on the East Coast, even on the West Coast, I really highly recommend these skis. Um, I actually demoed these skis. I really liked them. Uh, I recommend anyone buying a pair of skis if they want to really test out a pair of skis. They got to demo it. You know, if you want to find a ski that's really great for you, you got to demo it. You know, sitting there staring at them in a in a shop does no justice. <laughs> uh, you know, can't and it, get a feel looking at them. No, you can't, and it's really hard to um, it's really hard to come by 
a place where you can actually demo skis. Luckily, uh, Whiteface uh, in New York, up in Wilmington, New York, they let you uh, they let you demo Rosnell skis. So I went up there with my girlfriend, little sister, and uh, we actually demoed some skis up there while we were skiing for the day. And um, it was really cool, and I really liked the 88, so uh, I ended up buying a pair. <laughs> it's all super weird for me to hear my girlfriend and know it's my sister i know some of you guys listening are going to know exactly what that's like and you're going to know the weirdness factor to it uh moving on though going from there rosie's super prevalent in the northeast i'm curious if any of you are listening and you're from the west i know you guys are out there skiing are rosie's as big of a ski out west as they are in the east because they're pretty dominant here yeah, I, they really are. I mean, they the 88s have kind of been deemed the all-mountain ski of the East. Uh, and everywhere I go, I was at Killington. I saw so many people skiing on, you know, three years ago's 88s. You know, and obviously I saw a lot of people skiing on this year's 88s. I'm on last year's 88s. And they're really a, a prevalent ski. And, you know, they've kind of uh, gained, I would say, a cult following to them. And, um, I'm, I'm definitely, as long as they keep the brand alive, I'm definitely going to keep one of them, um, you know, in my keep rock in the 88, yeah, I'm going to keep, obviously, you know, in a, on a true powder day, I'm going to try to bring the, uh, the hounds out and, uh, you know, bring out my, uh, 100s. Uh, I have a pair of, uh, vocal, uh, walls that I obviously, uh, ski on the big powder days, but on the day to day skiing, you know, ice, a little bit of, um, a little bit of uh, sugar on some ice, you know, those 88s are going to get brought out. <laughs> the spring plan. Do you have a, pl- a plan for this coming up year as far as ski trips you got going on and then fishing trips you might want to happen? Uh, I'll start with fishing. There aren't currently any fishing trips planned. I definitely, if anybody wants to take him on one. <laughs> um, I definitely are, I'm definitely going to start pushing into other uh, watersheds in the Adirondacks. I started pushing up higher uh, on the West Canada into um, some more remote sections that could possibly hold um, some native brook trout, which are obviously, um, you know, every fisherman's dream is to find, um, you know. native brookie that's just a monster. Yeah, no, that's everyone's dream. Uh, for skiing, however... Uh, the, uh, the girlfriend and I have a uh, trip planned to, uh, Colorado for the week. Uh, so we, uh, and where are you hitting in Colorado? I think we're going to, I think we're going to end up hitting uh, steamboat, uh, winter park, uh, probably copper. Um, we ended up buying, um, a pass this year called the max pass that gives you, um, 44 mountains and five days at each of those mountains. And what uh, are the mountains? I don't know all the mountains off the top of my head, but for the East Coast, uh, that includes Bel Air, Whiteface, Gore, uh, Pico, Killington, Mount Tremblant, Sunday River. Damn. All the Sugarloaf. Yeah, so there's a lot of mountains. Um, and then obviously it, it encompasses all the mountains that we're going to hit out in uh, out west in Colorado. So, you know, at the end of the year, we're pretty much going to be skiing for free. We've already, you know, paid off the pass. So, you know, the $150 a day lift ticket at Copper. Yeah, no offense, but out west, you guys may have a lot of awesome stuff, but uh, lift ticket prices are not one of them. 
Yeah, it's starting to get pretty crazy. I don't know the exact price of uh, the Veil Pass, but I'm sure it's probably creeping on the $200 range. Yeah, which, uh, <laughs> really hurts the wallet. I mean, if you're in the uh, if you live in Colorado and have gotten the the Epic Pass, it it definitely is worthwhile. But for everyone, for everyone else, <laughs> for everyone coming in and looking to do a week or two, you're either going to get the Max Pass or you're just going to spring for the the Epic Pass and just use it for the week because. You Otherwise, know, nonsense. One hundred and fifty dollars at at kill. I'm um, sorry, at copper is just outrageous. Yeah, you can't. You, uh, nah, I'm just gonna say no, no. I've done the math, and it's cheaper to fly from for us northeasterners from a major hub to Europe, anywhere in Switzerland, wherever, and ski there because the lift tickets are half the price on a day. I I don't. I think they're. Less than half. I think the last time I went um, in Switzerland, it was forty-five U.S. dollars to ski the second largest resort in Europe. And let's talk second largest resort in Europe. How big is the second largest resort in Europe? I would say it's probably four or five veils stuck together. At least I'm. That might be even a little small. It's it's big. I mean. To um, for everyone that doesn't know, it's called Porta Porte de Soleil. I'm probably really butchering. Porte I'm really butchering <laughs> yeah. the uh, get the cleaver out. <laughs> We're gonna chop that name right up. But it encompasses two countries, so I you know any any resort that encompasses two countries is definitely a, a very big resort. Massive, yeah. massively big. It's this kind of ski resort where you stand at one end and you cannot see the other. You keep skiing over one mountain and seeing another one, and you ski over that, and you see another one, and you're like, this has got to end somewhere. No, and it doesn't. It just keeps going. Yeah, it goes, yeah. It's it's definitely um, it's definitely a, a different type of skiing experience. The atmosphere is completely different than European what you find. European skiing atmosphere is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. They Après ski <laughs> is a, I'm guessing, French word for a reason yeah yeah it's it's a it's a very cool experience uh for everyone planning trips to colorado and as an avid ski trip planner it's definitely in your budget to uh go out to europe and ski we may have to do a separate podcast because i know both of us have gone there you we've gone on separate trips and we're just gonna do a breakdown of what it would cost somebody to go to a massive place like that because I think it's gonna be far more reasonable than people would believe. Yeah, and I know there's also a bunch of oh Anderson's got words. He's loving it. Yeah, I know there's a, a bunch of groups that um, offer um, really discounted packages to even go out to Europe. You know they they handle um, the transportation, they handle the lift prices, they handle the lodging, they handle the food. Uh, it's kind of what you consider an all-inclusive ski package. I think all you have to do they even you know block off the um, airport uh, flights and everything like that. So you have to search for them, so and there's zero thinking needed. Yeah, it's kind of just you know uh, pull out your wallet and you know spend a you know a little while and. Go to Europe. (laughs) Go to Europe, do some skiing, enjoy the life. Uh, So you're going to expand more into the Adirondacks. You're going to do some skiing out west. Do you have any dream lists 
going on right now of places you'd love to fish or maybe ski? I went on a trip with my father out to Yellowstone. Uh, for a lot of people out west, I'm sure the Yellowstone River is kind of um, you know a, a cool place. And I know when I went out there, uh, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of fishermen out there on the water. And um, I did all the tourist sites of Yellowstone. Obviously, uh, seeing all the geysers, seeing the uh, Grand Prismatic Pool, and all that. But I never really got to deep dive really kind of off the beaten path into um you know the wilderness there so um i'd really like to go out there you know i got to stand in and kind of you know look at the water the yellowstone so i'd really like to go in and you know try my luck there fishing that watershed i haven't really looked into too many other places out west um i really have my sights set local there's just so many there's so much water here specifically in New York and also Pennsylvania and I mean Vermont obviously in Maine that offer you know world-class fishing you would say and I mean even if you want to go up into um, <clears throat> sorry up into the um, the upper reaches of um, Ontario into Canada there's just so much fishing up there oh my god Algonquin National Park would be yeah ridiculous amounts of water yeah. For those of you who've never heard of the Algonquin, actually it's Algonquin Provincial Park, uh, go ahead and check that out. The amount of water there and fishing and everything will blow your mind away. So, Austin, say people want to either A, follow you on Instagram, or they're like, oh, I got a great place this guy could ski, or maybe a restaurant or whatever he could check out when he's out west here, or a river he should check out where would they follow you where would they reach you um well i'm on facebook obviously i think everyone in the 21st century is <laughs> on facebook i'm also on instagram so you can find me um on instagram at austin underscore benincasa uh, and also you can follow now how do you how do you how do you spell that <laughs> it's uh b as in boy e-n-i-n-c-a-s-a and I'm going to assume you can spell Austin, so. <laughs> if not Google, city in Texas. <laughs> Capital. Capital. <laughs> All right. And uh, say they just want to be like email you. Maybe they want to reach out and send you some tips, shit like that. So, again, you can or you can send me an email at uh, bencasa.austin at gmail.com. That's the, probably the best way to reach me. Or direct message on instagram or smoke signals yeah smoke signals smoke <laughs> signals light them up <laughs> you could do that or you know if you want to find me on facebook uh you know message got me the on, <laughs> yeah or you could just follow the adventure adventurous gentleman um, oh there we go the adventurous gentleman uh facebook and uh you can find me on there because i'm gonna be posting more uh more fishing um Maybe more skiing. We'll see how it goes. But fishing is kind of where I've uh, decided to uh, put a lot of my time to. So I th I'm definitely going to be covering that a little bit more. But uh, we'll see where you know the winter goes. If it's maybe if it's too cold, we're going to do some rock climbing this spring. I'm calling it now. Yeah, we'll definitely we're out there. Yep, we'll probably uh, cover that a little bit too. Yeah, we're going to have to do one on that, and we're going to have to do a, another one on getting your asses out to Europe for skiing. So Austin will definitely be back for the Adventurous Gentleman podcast. 
Live your life with vigor.